Hello and welcome to the WordPress Chick Podcast. Brought to you by the WPChick.com. WordPress explained for those of us who get headaches when we hear words like PHP and functions, but want to make money with their WordPress sites. No boring code snippets here. Just WordPress happiness made easy. Now, here's your host, Kim Doyle, the WordPress Chick. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the second official Conversations with Kim. This is part two from last week. You listened to the conversation with uh, Gordon Orlick and I, and we were talking about lead surveys and and how that all started. We're going to pick up that conversation today because we have a lot that we did not cover. Gordon, what's up? Thanks for being here. Hey, thank you for having me again. <laughs> yeah, everybody, after after last week of putting the transcripts in and realizing we talked a lot. That was a lot of words. That was fun. Um, so today we're going to go over, I, I, I think we're going to start with the direction of getting started. So for, for everybody who didn't listen last week, I'd recommend going back and listening to how lead surveys came about. The idea of it, you know, what we started looking at, the different, not the different tools that we looked at, but just what we wanted to do to differentiate lead surveys from other things on the market, why we wanted to do this, all that good stuff. So that's all in last week's episode. So let's kind of start with the next step, which would be what needs to come together in terms of the different pieces. And (laughs) obviously, this most of this is going to be on you, Gordon, but there was a lot. This this has been such an education for me, but all of the things that needed to come together before we could even, we, meaning you, get into coding. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I'll talk about the content and the marketing and stuff. So the, the different things that we had to look at were obviously merchant accounts, but the processing of recurring payments in this space is different than, say, just a membership, right? So what did you need to look at, Gordon? Uh, to get that, and and can you share where we ended up? Yeah, sure. So, in essence, today it's infinitely more easier to take money from people legally, obviously, than it was five years ago. Um, you have PayPal and Stripe and all of these different card processors, and just by glancing at things you would think that you can have things set up in five minutes. So just click, click, next, next, open an account, give them your bank account number, and you can start receiving payments. And that is true. However, as with anything in life, if you have certain demands, if you have certain things that you know that you need, then all of a sudden you don't have 22 things available to you. You have maybe one or two. And even with those two, you're going to have to make some compromises. For us, one of the main things we decided from the get-go is that we wanted to accept both PayPal and credit cards. So just by having those requirements, you have cut off a lot of different possibilities. For instance, uh, a lot of companies that offer processing of payments use Stripe. Stripe only accepts credit cards. So for us, that would mean that we have to have two systems, one system based on Stripe to accept credit cards and another system, well, payment to uh, PayPal, sorry, to accept PayPal payments. So is that doable? Well, obviously it's doable, but then we have two systems, double the maintenance, double the cost, double the processing fees. Not really a great way to start. So we started looking into solutions that would enable us to process both PayPal's and credit cards under the same roof. And there are actually not many. More or less, only PayPal does that. Or in our case, we went with Braintree, which is also a PayPal company. It's just, well, let's say it's branded differently. It it leans more towards developers and the services such as ours. Again, depending on where you live, this option may or may not be available to you. So once you have things down on paper of what you really need and what's for instance, acceptable for you to pay monthly for such a service, you soon realize that 
you don't really have much of a choice. Now, I definitely recommend that you really do take a pen and a pencil uh, and write things down because having an idea in your head is one thing, but being able to write down five bullets is a completely different thing. Um, okay, so we, in the end, went with Braintree. First and foremost, because it processes both credit cards and PayPal. Secondly, because the fees are, well, I wouldn't say the lowest ever, but they are in the lower spectrum. Third thing, they are very developer-friendly. Fourth thing, they are a PayPal company. Some people will take that as a big minus. <laughs> I, yeah, I also heard a lot of horror stories and read them. Personally, never had any issues with PayPal or the ones that I had were resolved with two phone calls. Me so, too. yeah, uh, me too. I, I, any issue I've ever had with PayPal, I get, I can get somebody on the phone and it's been great. So, yeah, from what I understand and no offense to anybody, you get into problems with PayPal when you lie, when you live in a country that's not supported by PayPal and you do manage to open an account either via a VPN or a friend does it for you. And in a couple of years, you know, the truth gets out and now you're in a pickle because, you know, you don't live in France. Um, you're actually in some other country. But if PayPal is supported in the country where you live and you actually gave them your real name, I don't really see any problems. So hopefully to knock on wood, we won't have any problems either. Now, the second thing that was very important to us was the ability of the processor to handle recurring payments. In essence, it may seem that doing a single payment or recurring payments is the same because recurring is just, you know, a single payment every 30 days. Uh, it's not that simple. These services and Braintree will make it simple for you, but in essence, when you go deep into it, it's very, very, very complicated. The first time the user pays, they don't only pay you, they uh, give you permission to charge their card or PayPal account multiple times. Uh, so then that information that yes, that please charge me again thing has to be stored somewhere. It's usually called a vault or some sort of some synonym of it. And it's basically a secure place where the information is kept. And uh, if the user does a chargeback or says, no, I didn't allow you to charge me again, you then have the ability to say that's not true. You actually gave us your permission five months ago. What are you saying? What are you doing? So that's just one little part of the whole reoccurring payments thing. And if you have an idea or thing that you can code all of that or on your own and perhaps code things like the ability for pausing uh, reoccurring subscriptions or basically anything in regards to reoccurring things, you will soon realize that it will take you weeks. Uh, that's why we also looked into a lot of services that act like middlemen, for instance, Recurly or Chargebee. Those are services that are specifically created for people who only do reoccurring charges. They give you advanced tools to look at, for instance, at your stats to be able to tell how much you actually earn per month, what's your churn rate, what are the fees you're paying, how loyal are your customers. But the reason we didn't go with any of those services is because they didn't have a very good connection with WordPress. Uh, in order for us to connect with those services, we would have to write additional software, so basically a plugin for WordPress to connect with them, which is, again, not a five-minute five minute job. 
On the other hand, us going with uh, Braintree allowed us to use WooCommerce and their built-in support for Braintree as a payment gateway, and most things came to life out of the box. Or, if I want to be more precise, we didn't have to develop anything, we just have to implement things. And whenever you have a chance to implement and not to develop, that's definitely the way to go. Because not only will it save you time and money, um, it's basically a situation where when you're doing something that others have done as well. So if you do run into a pickle, you can Google it and find other people with similar problems. If you're, however, dealing with your own custom code, there is not really a way to Google that. You either have to resolve the bugs yourself or hire somebody else. So to make a long story short, we went with Braintree and WooCommerce uh, is going to be handling things on the WordPress end. And before you decide on the payment gateway you want to use, definitely put down some requirements, write them down. Uh, I did spoke on the phone with Recurly and all these other services. They have sales re representatives. They will definitely answer any questions you have because by reading their manuals and, you know, what can they do for you and reading their websites in general, it's not always absolutely clear what you can or can't do because things really are complicated. So take your time. It took us nearly, a, I'm not going to say a month, but it, it took weeks to decide because once you have paying customers, changing the payment gateway is borderline impossible. Now, when I say impossible, obviously it's possible you can do it, but you either end up with two payment gateways, one for your old customers and the other new one for your new customers, or you have to tell your old customers, please cancel the current subscription and please resubscribe on our new gateway. Now, as you can imagine, if you have a hundred customers and you ask them to do that, you're not going to end up again with a hundred customers because people just won't listen to you. They, they won't do it. I wouldn't do it either because you're making me do something that, you know, why am I, why do I have to suffer because you're, because of your poor judgment, you could have chosen the right gateway from the get go. Okay. So the gateway you choose, you're going to be stuck with it for some time, maybe a year, maybe two, maybe five. It's not something that you can change every day. So if it costs five bucks more, but you think that solution you chose, it's more solid, really pay five bucks more. Because in the end, you know, you're going to spend time maintaining things. So if those $5 saves you an hour or two, you're already in the plus. Don't, don't just look at the prices, either a fixed monthly fee or a per transaction fee. That's important, obviously. You know, you're here to make money. But please look at other things as well, because in the long run, it's going to pay off. Can I jump in really quick? Um, you know, as you were saying that, what I was thinking is you had shared something with me with Braintree. And this is the stuff that people probably don't think about because I know I didn't. And it was when you start looking at the uh, the merchant processor and the different points that have to connect. So what happens when the credit card, like you said, pausing an account or the credit card is denied or they need to change their billing. There's like all these different things that need to be an automated process in case of stuff, something goes sideways with their payment. Because at the end of the day, we don't, it, like you, like you're just saying, it's going to cost us time or money. And it's not something that I want to go in and update someone's credit card for them or, you know, they're, they're, all of those things. And you just don't think about it as a user or as a customer, how many points of contact, like all these things have to be talking together with. Right. And so, I mean, yeah. it's like when I had suggested, um, 
uh, Kajabi, right? I was like, because we're going to put the training. I, ideally, I'd like to store all the training in a, in a in a Kajabi site just for lead surveys. And I was like, well, let's just use that. They've got recurring and stuff. But, you know, your answer was they've only got two APIs. And I was like, I didn't know what that meant at the time. But, you know, understanding that I, I think anybody you know, who's hearing this and is thinking, well, I don't, you know, I'm not going to do software, but you also want to think about all of these points when it comes to whether you're selling courses or, you know, a one-off digital product or a membership, there's all these different elements that have to come into consideration. It's not just getting that buy now button set up and, or setting up just a recurring thing through PayPal. It's, there's, there's, you kind of have to plan for not worst case scenario, but as many scenarios as possible to so the customers have a better experience at the end of the day, right? Yeah, I I mean obviously if you're doing a minimum viable product or you're just testing a theory and you just want to smack that buy button in there, yeah, go whatever you want. In that case, I would recommend Gumroad. But if you end up actually using that system and it works out and all of a sudden you have a thousand customers. Gumroad is not going to be good. So you end up in a situation when you need to do the switch and that is not going to be painless. So, you know, sleep on it for a couple of nights and think, are you looking for a permanent solution or are you looking for a temporary solution just to prove an, a business idea? But then you are at risk of have to doing things all over again, which is also fine if you, you know, decide on that. It's just you don't want to be moving a thousand customers down the road or attempting to and having everything break. No, so that, that's not gonna and you, you're you're gonna lose money and customers and that's not gonna be good. Um all right, so before we talk a little bit about the branding piece um and, and our Fox, the other thing that I'd love for you to talk about just a little bit because again, I don't know that as, as users, people take the stuff into consideration in terms of, you know, the servers and the costs and what needs to happen and kind of the, the base of that just before we even have a customer. And, and so can you share just a little bit of what you wanted to look for in terms of servers and, and companies and what they could manage? Yeah, sure. Um, if you have a website with, 12 visitors per month, you can obviously get away with any kind of hosting. And I don't know, it's going to run you five bucks per month, something like that. There's there's not really much that a $100 per month account will do for you that a $5 per month won't. They may be some difference in speed, but for those 12 people that visit you, uh, it's not that important. When you start doing things a bit more seriously and you get more visitors and you start putting more content on your site, then you start to see, you know, what's the difference between a $5 per month and a $100 per month hosting. And at some point you have to move your site to a better hosting provider. Anybody who has ever moved their site knows that that's a real big royal pain in your behind. Uh, you have downtimes, files get lost, you don't know what's where, you have to hire somebody to do the move for you. It's stressful. Now, when it comes to a huge system like a SAS or something that we're building, that move, it's even more complicated and it's definitely not something that you want to do. So you're looking for a hosting partner that can support you from day zero when you're nobody, but they can also support you, I don't know, in two years when you're actually one of their prime customers. There are really not a lot of hosting companies that can do that because most companies that you see are reselling somebody else's resources. They're basically just bulk buying and then reselling. And the people who manage the servers and the whole service, their knowledge only goes so far. And if you run any kind of a complex service, you soon realize that they can't stand behind you after you outgrow them. 
So since our system is based on WordPress, we were looking for companies that know WordPress, that have done similar projects. And basically, somebody that we can call when we have a problem, somebody that knows more than we do, and somebody that we are actually, we will be paying for the know-how. We are obviously paying for the servers as well, but in any kind of hosting environment, when you're get, giving them $5, yeah, that's going for that's going for the servers. But when you're paying a hundred dollars, you're basically giving them ten dollars for the service and ninety dollars for the know-how. For us, that's important because as we grow, we need people that know how to scale things, how to keep them as speedy as they were on the first day, how to perhaps um, have servers uh, on the in one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast, one in Europe, so that regardless of where you end up using lead surveys, it's always going to be as fast for you as it was the first day. Now, one of the things that you can do, but I wouldn't recommend it, is uh, just getting the servers, let's say from Amazon or from DigitalOcean, those servers are unmanaged meaning that you are the one who is managing them. You have to install all the software updates. You have to install all of the software yourself. You have to do everything yourself. And that's not a five-minute job. Now, if you have a company of 20, let's say, and you have a system engineer on board that can handle those servers, excellent, excellent. He's going to do that. You're paying him. But at the end of the month, it's, again, not something that's free because you have a man, you know, his full-time employee just to handle the servers. Now, we don't have that kind of a situation, so we wanted a third party to handle things for us. Now, we ended up choosing Pagely because they have a ton of experience with projects similar to ours. They are not cheap. Um, When I say not cheap, that's neither good or bad. It just it does mean that they're not undermining their own experience and the service they provide. They have all of the infrastructure that we need, and they will be able to follow our growth for years to come. If you go on pageo.com and you look at the prices, I'm not going to quote them, but you you soon realize that we're no longer talking about five bucks, ten bucks, a hundred bucks. You're looking at tiers of upwards of thousands of dollars per month. Many will say, well, they're robbing you. No, they're not. It's just that there's a huge difference between between your GoDaddy account and the thing that we need. So whenever you if you're thinking about doing a SaaS, please bear in mind that hosting expenses will be your number one expense besides, let's say, support. It's not something that you can skimp on. You really need quality hosting. If it costs 100 bucks more per month, let it cost 100 bucks more. Yeah, well, if, you, if you're not going to set up the environment, again, that's what's been so interesting with this for me is at the end of the day, it makes more sense to do it right from the beginning than just like, you know, having to move a merchant account or having to move servers. It's, it's God, what a nightmare. Like you said, I know what a pain it is to, not that I've personally ever moved my sites, but <laughs> you know, it's, that's a nightmare in and of itself. And then in terms of the servers too. So people need to, to take into consideration. I think we may have touched on this last week, but just so there's a base cost for having the servers. And then every time, you know, people's surveys are show- that's costing us money every time a survey shows or loads or whatever. That's where, you know, the cost comes in with the surveys. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. Obviously, for that one survey, it's just a fraction of a cent. But when you have millions, then it's no longer cents, it's real dollars. And, you know, as time fly by, flies by and you have more customers and you have more leads and you have more surveys and you have more of everything. 
then moving becomes infinitely more complex. And since, as we said, we are charging a monthly fee, taking down the service for a day or two, that's not cool. You know, I mean, if you're paying for 30 days and I shut down for a day, that's 3%. No, that's a considerable downtime. I would be pissed if, you know, a service did that to me. So I don't want to do it to our customers. Um, And when you're thinking about moving, there will be downtime or there will be some time when the service is not completely up. So try and avoid that from day zero and generally try to find partners that will be able to support you down the road so that you don't have to switch things in a month. Yeah, this is, this has been an interesting journey. Just, I've learned so much more about this. So let's shift gears a little bit and let's kind of talk a little bit about the branding because, you know, Gordon, I was trying to think about when we were originally talking about the name and stuff too, I don't know that there was a whole lot of, that was a pretty easy thing. It it was, it was, we both were knew it was made more sense to be clear. Like there's no guessing what lead surveys is about, right? Yeah. Yeah. We talked about those funny, quirky names, but we we immediately decided that, you know, naming the company Banana Pride. (laughs) Yeah. No, you have to have a tagline explaining that you do leads and surveys. It's just, it's fun. Yeah. It's great. It would make for a great logo, but it, it doesn't really do much for you. Well, no, and it's it, and forget like I, I wasn't even coming from an SEO perspective, and it's it's tough because I like the stuff that's clever. I really do. I like that. I like to be able to take a theme and run with it. But at the end of the day, nobody's going to be guessing what the site, what what the what the service is. No one's going to guess what the product's about. And so I don't know. It seemed like that stuff was pretty easy. And then I was I was surprised that even I was kind of surprised it was available. And I know it's a .io extension, but I was kind of surprised. Um, because it's I don't know. It just <laughs> to me I was like this is a home run with the name. Um, and so what we did is so initially we had a logo done, and it was more of a I don't know what the right terminology is going to be for this, but. It was a nice polished software logo, kind of, and, um, and simplistic. Then, yeah, yeah, very simplistic, very clean. Which I still think everything we've got is pretty simple and clean, but it um, it didn't have a personality. And so, <laughs> and 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 you had said originally, like, what about a mascot? And I was like, oh no, no, no. Like I was thinking it was kind of quote unquote dated, for lack of a better term. And then we're you know as we're doing this research and looking at different tools. I loved the companies that had a mascot, whether it was incorporated into the brand or whether it was incorporated into the onboarding and you could pull in. But all of a sudden, I felt like these companies totally had a personality and there was this little, um, I don't know. It was, it was just a, a notch above a bland software company because the other thing that I came across was, uh, well, I'm sure you came across it too, but just what was obvious to me is, the companies that just felt like a software company, a lot of those those companies didn't have a feeling of community around them. They didn't do a lot of content. They didn't do a lot of customer outreach and training and those types of things that get me all geeked. And it was just like, ah, another tool. Really, that that's kind of how it felt, which I love all my tools. But um, so do you remember the mascot came about? Uh, I think we changed the logo after we came up with the idea for the mascot, right? Yeah, because originally we had the fox drawn. No, we asked for two versions of the fox. One that goes with the logo and the other one we gave full creative freedom to the person who did the logo. Because, you know, we we knew that the fox has to go with the logo, which... It's it's actually more complex thing to do than it sounds. You know, you got have to draw something that goes with something else while still keeping all of the requirements we had. So yeah, we ended up editing the logo partially after we got the fox. Well, and even the fox, I remember being on Skype and it was 
I just, I don't know. <laughs> You're so patient with me because we could have gotten ahead of this if I had jumped on it earlier. But trying to come up too with the right mascot. And it's funny because um, my friend John Press is trying to come up with a mascot now for his own brand. And I think <laughs> because of our Fox, I'm going to go ahead and take credit for that. So sorry, John. Um, but it was. It can't be a Fox. No, no, it's not. It's not. But but we were going back and forth like, okay, should it be, you know, robots are overused everywhere. So we didn't want to do that. And an inanimate object, an animal, like a little person. And then we narrowed it down to an animal. And then I love the point that you had brought up, like, it needs to be smart. So we knew it couldn't be a dolphin. (laughs) Wasn't that funny? Like, you automatically can't think of a smart animal, which is not cool. But um, yeah, the fox landing on the fox was just... uh, I don't know. I got so pumped about the brand as soon as we got that fox back. I mean, it was just, she nailed it right out. I mean, there were two versions. One was more, I I don't know what the right differentiation was. Cartoony, right? Yeah, Cartoon Network, kind of a 90s style outlined thing. Yeah. It wasn't bad, but really wasn't bad. But just this one went more with our team. Well, and pulling in... The Google material design, which you've gotten me completely obsessed about to the point where I'm like, I think my next phone needs to be a Google Pixel. (laughs) I'm not buying a new phone, but, you know, and I've always had iPhones, but to keep so it's like everything needs to feel cohesive. And this sounds so obvious with branding, but, you know, and not even getting into the branding piece of, of, um, I read a book and I included this in a post on ours. It's called Hello, My Name is Awesome. Because when it comes to branding, it's like, it's not just find a name, pick a logo. It's, you need to do the, the pen to paper work and, and sort of drop down like names and what does this feel like and what do you want people to connect the brand to? And, you know, so all of those things came into play and, and then looking at building out the site to support the, because, uh, the Google material design, which is going to be the admin and the surveys and all of those things. It's like, well, you don't want the, the site to look so different. And then here we have this illustrated fox. So at first it felt hard, but once we got into it, I just feel like that fox makes the brand. No, it, it, the difference is huge. It really, whenever we have any – I'm not saying any white space, but when when you have some space that we don't know what to put there – Bam, you put a fox, it's good. So it really lightens up the place, gives it a personality. And as long as we don't overuse her, I think people are going to love her. Yeah. And you know, what's fun is as I so just started putting some content out last week that uh, and, and she was on, I don't know, one of the social images or sending people to the site. That was one of the first comments I got. Love the branding. And it, she just nailed it. And so then, you know, it's going to be an interesting process in terms of navigating when to show her, when not to show her. So the first thing we're doing, and uh, I'll link to this uh, when this goes live, the page will be up. So we're going to do a contest, name the fox. And because she needs a name, so it's not just the fox. And part of doing... Affectionately known as fo- <laughs> Foxy, Miss Foxy Miss Foxy Fox, yeah. <laughs> So we're going to actually give her a name um, with your help and and part of that choice in doing this. So, you know, let, let's talk just a sec, Gordon, and you know, to go too sideways on this, but this whole idea of contests and giveaways, because you've just been through this. And in my experience with like a, a contest or a giveaway is what I have found is you would think the uh, like giving away software and all these great products would be great. I, I honestly believe <laughs> That because we've gotten so digital in this, in our current times or whatnot, people are missing like fun stuff in the mail. And so when we, like when I had done hustle free, we sent out this, this kit. And so I thought we need to send people swag, like a, a t-shirt and, you know, a sticker and a mug and, and kind of random stuff. There is a free account that's coming with this, but there's something about the swag. So we're going to do this contest ideally for brand awareness to connect with our audience simply for fun, right? To get because. This is where, um, <laughs> I don't know how to say this, but the marrying of, so we've sort of got this whole front end thing happening of building the brand and, and ideally building a list and, and potential subscribers. And then you've got <laughs> all the behind the scenes stuff that you're working on. And so this is kind of a, it's, I literally am picturing like a scale with two, you know, weighing stuff on either side. Um, 
But with, with the contest and the giveaways, what did you find with the one you guys just ran for WP Loop? The whole idea of the giveaway on WP Loop was, you know, let's have a huge prize pool and let's have people pick their own prizes because when the quote unquote traditional giveaways tell you, you know, these are your five prizes, this is what you get. So I assume that out of those four, three are shitty and you don't want them. <laughs> so I imagined, you know, let's give you a list of a hundred uh, premium plugins and themes and you can pick anything you want. So in the end, it got to $2,500 worth of prizes from which you could pick whatever you wanted. It's not that it ended poorly or that it was ignored by people, but it wasn't a landslide that I expected. Mm -hmm. So the takeaway for me here is if we, in a month or two or a year, if we do a giveaway that's worth $25,000, which would be borderline impossible, I, I, I don't think it would do any better in comparison to, to the 2500 one we just had. I, I don't think that the, the end dollar value really matters that much to people. It's just that, as you said, there's all this free stuff flying around. So, you know, it's really hard to get people interested in doing anything or, you know, making any considerable steps to join the giveaway. If they have to do anything more than tweet, that's a burden to them. So all in all, just doing a giveaway with some good or bad prizes it, it probably won't be a landslide in most cases. So anybody who's considering that, I would advise to, you know, think about the resources you have and how much you want to invest in this in regards to prizes and paid traffic and everything else, because you might not get out of it as much as you think. Well, and putting it, pulling it all together you know, is there's a lot of time and energy that goes into pulling together what you did. And so I, I think when it comes to, and I don't know, it could be the space too. I, I wonder, I, I think there's a lot of shifts happening in the WordPress space in terms of, of a retraining of the free mentality. Um, so I yeah, that, that, that word is cursed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I think there is some retraining going on as, as most companies, you know, there's the quality products are premium products. Now the, I, I think the JV zoo traction is, eh, you know, you don't see a lot of WordPress products in there anymore because there are, there are quality products in the marketplace that are supported and those people are in it for the long haul. So, you know, you see a lot of that changing, but I think in terms of, you know, a, a lead generation tool, a brand awareness and stuff, it's, you know, this is, I think what's, what I'm finding is a little bit tricky is, okay, creating this content and trying to connect with people and build an audience before they can see the app, right? Before we can say, you do this and this. So it's, it's coming from that perspective. It's been a really interesting journey. And so a lot of this is a testing to see what, to see what sticks, right? And so doing the name the fox is, <laughs> it's just fun and, and she's awesome. And so it's a way to put the personality of the brand into the marketplace and get people to connect. Like, again, I see a huge part of our strategy is going to be this ongoing content and, and teaching and, and talking to customers and letting them know how to use the tool and doing case studies. And, you know, this person generated, you know, a thousand leads last month because of their survey and then whatever. So, you know, taking it a step further. Um, but it, this is all really, it's, I don't want to say a crapshoot, but it's, your best guess, essentially, right? I mean, I know that there's data, but because we don't have, we're using, you know, our own individual audiences to pull this into this and then obviously getting, you know, JVs and stuff on board. But while we do this, you know, it's like we want to be able to do a webinar and all that stuff. But again, until we're able to dig into the app to show people, it's finding a way to connect with people about their struggles and challenges, which, you know, that's going to lie on me. And I think, I've said this so many times, I probably should just, you know, I don't know, sign a contract or something. But 
I think doing Facebook Live, like, you know, live streaming and talking to people about their frustrations with lead generation and where they've dropped the ball is going to help to, um, tailor the content and tailor the training to what they need help with the most. Yeah. And hopefully the little fox will make them smile. <laughs> Here and there. She's pretty awesome, you gotta admit. So as soon as she has a name, we'll be sharing that. Um, so all of that is ha- so we've got this, you know, the content is, you know, starting to get published on the site, the social starting to happen. Um, and the meantime, <laughs> Gordon is building <laughs> and digging into this. So um let's address, you know, we talked before we started this recording, you know, we had a long conversation about possibilities because for somebody who is not a coder, understanding that on one hand, it's like you need to build the best minimum viable product, right? So we, we know all that. At the same time, you need to build it in a way that is planning for potential opportunities, right? Of Like we were talking about agency accounts and stuff. So, you know, in terms of then saying, okay, we're going to go ahead and build this, like, where do you start, Gordon? <laughs> you know, I mean, is it, you know, getting... I don't, is it just the, the dashboard? Is it the surveys? Like, where do you go about, like, this is all totally new to me. So in terms of building the product, um, where did you start? Well, we had, the most things were done months ago when you sent me your first, your wish list for version zero. <laughs> Basically, yeah, those, those features Okay, some we ditched, most we kept. Those features um, decide, that's what decides what gets built in version zero. So, you know, that's our scaffolding. That's what we see that's happening immediately. Um, Later on, a month or two of our discussions of what we want to do in version one, two, three, four, five, and you know, the possibilities that we want to have, those two play a significant role. Because as much as I love minimum viable products, the thing is, if you duct tape things together to have them as quickly as possible, that's not a good foundation to build things on later on. So what ends up happening is that at some point you have to rebuild everything either from scratch or almost from scratch. And we, I personally don't like that. So we took her out that, you know, let's initially take a month longer, let's say, but we will have a solid foundation that we can build things on. That still doesn't mean that it will take us two years to build version zero because that would really be bad. It will take us a bit longer than doing a minimum viable product, but I'm hoping that we will have something that we can build upon later on so that we don't have to rebuild everything. Well, basically, yeah, when it comes to planning, again, pen and paper, it does wonders because that email you sent me came from one of our talks. And when we talked, we obviously talk a lot, but <laughs> um, when you get it down in bullets, it's different because then you can say to us, to yourself, oh, my God, I wrote 110 bullets. I must be insane. You know, we can't have 110 features for version zero. So you cut it down to, let's say, 50. Or if you only write five bullets, then you know, well, uh, this is not real, really a crystallized idea. I need to sleep on it a bit more. So really write down those bullets and immediately when you have them in front of you, you'll be able to grasp how much of a clear vision you have of this product. And then you can start thinking in technical terms, you know, and write some specs down. Well, and coming back to one of our, you know, very clear intentions is that this has to be simple, right? So in looking at, okay, well, yes, there are features that are maybe a wish list, or then there are, you know, must haves. And then of course, there's other ones that is this needed or is ever, ever, right? Is this just a bell and a whistle that people want because they think they need it. But again, the goal is conversions and simplicity and 
getting quality leads and segmenting your subscribers. So we had to step back into that and look at, all right, how do we really do this? So um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the the pricing and launching in the product because, you know, the other thing that we, we discussed um, at length was you see a lot of software companies that do beta runs forever. Now, for what it's worth, you have so much experience in this space that <laughs> – like, I, I'm just like, take the lead. And of course, I'd rather not do a beta because who wants to work for free? But you have so much experience in doing this stuff. And then we've also witnessed, you know, companies that do, they simply, they launch and they do X amount of founder accounts. And, you know, they let those people in and it's not a scarcity tactic, but they let them in and then they sort of close it, but not for long, but they, they look at, Let's get, let's get the feedback. Let's get them in. Let's give the founders, you know, special pricing, um, you know, the highest package, whatever. So I don't know. Do you want to talk about a little bit how we looked at doing the pricing and why we ended up deciding on the founder accounts as opposed to, you know, beta testing? Yeah, sure. Just briefly touching on the beta thing for anybody that thinks of putting out a public beta because they will get free feedback and basically free beta testers. That's quite a false premise. First of all, um, properly testing software is quite a frustrating experience because in order to report a bug, you have to write down the steps of how to repeat that bug so that it can be fixed. If you think that somebody, actually your customers, will do that for free for you, you're really mistaken. So this is an, something's not working. They're frustrated. They're pissed at you. And now you expect them to write that down systematically and report it to you with, I don't know, screenshots. Why would they do that? They have shut down that tab and they are looking for another piece of software that does the same thing as yours does. And even when you get a final version out, they will still remember those first days when it didn't work and most probably tweet about it and blah, blah, blah. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that having a beta is something you should never do, a public beta, but it really does depend on the type of the customers you have. Our customers are not developers. Right. They just want something that works. It works now. It works fast. It's simple. And they don't have to have a PhD to make it happen. By giving them a beta version. Now, I have to stress out that one may think, we told you it's a beta. What did you think? That doesn't, it, it's not going to do you any good. Yeah, we told you basically doesn't work, but people, yeah, people will ignore that because why the hell did you give it to me then in the first place? Don't assume they know what a beta is. Right. So for our customers who want a quality, simple end product, I really don't see a beta as something that would be good for anybody. For us, it wouldn't be good because it makes our brand look shitty and we wouldn't get the feedback we need. And for them, it would just be a waste of time because they try to use something that really doesn't work. And what? They spent 10 hours creating a survey that they can't put on their website. So we basically stole money from them. So that's why we won't have a public beta. Well, or the whole free beta thing to me, it's the same yeah. thing. It's sort of like, yeah. I'd rather, when I say we, I mean you with the coding, <laughs> deploy, you know, build it out correctly uh, until it gets long, until we're ready to sell it. It just doesn't make sense to me to do that. And again, you have so much experience in this. It's, you know, it's not like just going, we just want to make money. It's no, let's, let's get this right from the beginning. No, I, I do see a benefit of getting feedback from customers, but, you know, th those people who give you feedback, they have to be able to do that. They do need to have certain 
skills and they need to be aware of the fact that they are investing time in something that may not pay off to them. So they are, you know, doing a favor to you basically. And you're promising to them that you're going to give them a free account or whatever. But for people for who the the web is just a tool, they don't want to be in love with it. It's a tool, you know, here's five bucks, make it work. Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in building it with you. It's not a Zen experience for me as it may be for somebody else. Yeah. If I'm buying a hammer, I don't necessarily need to know where the handle came from. And, you know, it was a glorious piece of wood we took down to make the <laughs> handle for you. No, I just just give it to me. I want to put some nails in. Yeah. On the other hand, if you're talking with five other people who, you know, have factories that make uh, hammers, yeah, great. Then go into the details. They can test the new hammer out for you. But uh, in most cases, that just won't happen. You're dealing with customers who want to give you money to have something useful. Giving them a beta, it's just, it's not going to work out for them because best scenario, it may work in some cases. That's the best they can get. So it's just not something they're looking for. That's why we decided to, I mean, onboard the first uh, 100 customers and give them a much lower price in order to say, you know, thank you for believing in us. Thank you for being the first. You know, thank you for being here before others were here. And we hope that people will appreciate that. And we certainly will. And after that period period is done, well, then the usual prices will set in. We'll, I mean, without testing, we can't know if those prices will be good or not. Because as with most things, there's not really, it's, you can't do it bad or good. It's always something in between, right? Mm -hmm. there, there's not a formula to price it. You can look at the competition. You can think of the value you're giving. You obviously have to think about your expenses. Because if you're selling below what you're investing. You're a charity. <laughs> No, you're a startup. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. we are not a startup. Um, so pricing properly obviously takes some experiments. You know, you need some time to dial that in. But again, if you change prices too often, it doesn't really send a good message out. No, and I, you know what? I think it's easier to, you know... On one hand, you don't want to price too low, but you don't, I look at it this way. It's, it's kind of like, you know, let's say you put a house on the market and you, you overprice it for the market, then you got to keep dropping the price. You lose a ton of potential buyers and money in between. So if you start at a price point that you have done, you know, your due diligence and say, this is where, cause we'll have three tiered packages. Um, and, and so if you say, this is where we're going to start, it's a lot easier to, to gauge after running it for a little bit and raise a little bit to me without, you don't want to lose people, you know? So people coming to the brand for the first time, if they, you know, they see the new price, that's all they're going to know. Um, and obviously you don't raise the cost for, for, you know, existing customers necessarily if, if you can. So I, there's a lot that goes into this. And, you know, also one of the things that we looked at with pricing um, is in looking at, you know, having you know, three different tiers. And this doesn't include what we talked about offline with, you know, if agencies approaches for something custom, that's totally separate. But for the, for the public, when they come to the site and they say three tiers, like you don't want to just be paying more for more usage, right? You want some additional features and, and, you know, I, again, I don't know what that looks like, but it's funny because I keep using CoSchedule as an example of, I just, I love the way that they market and they stay in touch with their customers. But even earlier this morning, I saw an email where they, they rolled out some new features for the team accounts. Well, those all start at like 300 bucks a month. And for, 
you know, somebody that's a solo entrepreneur. At the same time, you don't want to say, well, I don't need those. So offer pricing to me for those features, right? So one of the things they had done was, you know, this uh, upgraded analytics. And when I reached out, I was like, they said, oh, no, it's only for the teams. I'm like, well, that's kind of stupid. So I think there's, you know, it's going to be something to learn as we go so that if we're, if the higher tiers have additional features, can that be an add-on or is there a way to include that? I don't know. what. I, and again, I think this is a, a best guess until you have customers and start communicating with them. Uh, it requires a huge amount of decisions mm-hmm. that there are no bad answers here. I think, you know, whatever you do, there is a market for that, but whether you're going to be able to reach it or not is a completely different ball game. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can sell a thousand dollars per month account. There are obviously services out there that, ch- that charge even more, but can you approach those people who have that kind of money and are willing to pay for it? That's questionable. So it's, Always some kind of a compromise between the resources you already have and the resources that are realistically available to you. Because I, you know, I, I don't know any people that would buy a space shuttle from me. <laughs> Although, no, obviously there are, there, there, there's a market for that. No, I know. Look at but, Elon Musk. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. Congrats to him. But I don't know people like that, but I do know people that would give me 20 bucks for a WordPress plugin. So I would rather stay realistic, not shoot for the stars, pun intended. (laughs) Well, at the end of the day, again, I, I don't know. I feel like we have had a lot of conversations about this and looked at a lot of pricing models. And the goal is to, you know, really have a relationship with the audience and our customers so that we know where, you know, what they want, what they don't want, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, it's on one hand, we're keeping it simple. On the other hand, we don't want to assume they're stupid, right? So it's not about repeating quote unquote features that seem like redundancies or using language that doesn't make sense so that the user then doesn't, they just don't ask, right? It It's so when it comes to the pricing and and what you provide in each of those levels, you do the best you can and you it's a course correct, right? As you go, you you just continue to course correct and you can't do that. And, you know, I, I preach this all the time on the show. Like it's through the doing that you get the answers you need. You can only, you do as much planning and best case scenario out of the gate. And then it's, you got, it's go time. You got to go live. <laughs> yeah. You got to take the gamble. Yeah. That's part of the business. Um, So let's wind up and we're looking at, we'll have a better I would say within 30 days, we'll have a better idea of of specific dates for people or ballparks, right? Yeah, we're n- not going to jinx ourselves with any dates today. Um, within a month, we'll, yeah, we'll definitely have some dates and we'll be able to tell people when they can expect the gates to open. Uh, believe us, we are doing everything we can for that to be as soon as possible. Well, and in the meantime, so the, the, you know, in, in terms of connecting with us, uh, you know, I, maybe I'll do, I don't know, I'm just thinking out loud here, but like after we get the name, the Fox contest sorted and we announce our winner and, and what her name is, um, the Fox, I mean, you know, it might be fun to start doing whether it's a live stream or a webinar, but really I, I want to know the frustrations and challenges that people have when it comes to lead generation, um, or, understand do people really get segmenting and how to talk to those customers and and separate that stuff out so while gordon and the guys are madly coding you know i'm here to connect with you guys in terms of content and what do you want and where where is this going to help you the most because again this is not you know i doubt infusionsoft is listening to this so i do not want this to be like confusion software you need to hire somebody to manage this tool (laughs) this needs to be something that gets you results quickly and and is like the ideal marriage for for your autoresponder whatever you're using and your site and that it's a great experience for your visitors and your customers so um i think we covered everything gordon any last words Mm, no it's a lot of work (laughs) it's a a lot lot. of decisions Yeah, yeah 
a lot of places to make mistakes, but uh, nothing's written in stone. I think that you, you can pivot as you go. So as soon as, as long as you you know have some let's call it passive income to sustain you while you're investing time in this, I think you know you'll be golden because it will take time for everything to sit into its place. This is not a couple of weeks of work. You know you're looking at something. It's gonna take you at least six months for things to start taking a certain shape and for the money to start coming in. So if you're looking to do something quick over the weekend, this is not a game for you. Well, that, and it also depends on where you're starting in terms of an audience and all of that. So we're able to leverage the audiences that we have, right? We're able to leverage this podcast, right? And, and this, you know, I feel like this is a little bit self-serving at the same time. I hope people understand the goal in these, in this conversation with Gordon specifically is this has been so eye-opening to me. It's just been this whole massive education and where I'm never going to be the one doing any coding, but understand it's so imperative that I understand this. And I think that as listeners, because I think everything that we've talked about in both episodes, Gordon, to a certain extent can be applied whether you're doing courses or a one-off product or even coaching, there is this, you know, methodology and process to one pen to paper, um, but also testing. I did this recently with with the content strategy workshop. I thought, okay, I'm working on this stuff for lead surveys. I'm a fiend for content, and so, you know, why don't I teach what I'm working on? So, in a way, it was like a paid beta right for that for that little course thing but it's mm-hmm. like i'm getting massive feedback from people and what would be helpful and you know i've asked her can we get a template for this or wh- how are you doing that or what's the best way to go about doing this so because it's all in my head and so in a way i think that everything that we have shared about building a saas but it's not just a saas it's a brand and we want to build a community with our customers so you can apply it in all these other areas too that's my two cents. Yeah, and we are starting from scratch in sense that obviously lead service doesn't even exist and we don't have any customers. So we are starting from scratch in that sense. But on the other hand, pulling out all of the resources that we already have, we are doing the best that we can with what we have. And that wouldn't be the case if we were building, you know, rockets because neither one of us knows anything about that. So, you know, if you're starting something new, think about how you can utilize the things that you already have, whether that being an audience or, I don't know, a WordPress plugin you already wrote or something like that. It it, it will really help you because even with that and even with everything we already have, it's still a lot of work, a lot of decisions and a lot of brainstorming. Well, and the other thing, Gordon, it's like, I, cu- I couldn't have painted a better scenario, to be honest with you. <laughs> and you're sitting here like doing all this work on that side, but because I am obsessed, I love tools and software and stuff. And I, I don't know when I for, oh, when I, dipped my toes into plugin development years ago. But again, having developers that are overseas and don't understand the market aspect of this the way you do. And then I've built up an audience that I can talk to and communicate. And I love doing the content like this was just (laughs) this was ideal. You know, so for people listening, if if you have an idea and you don't know how to get it, this, you know, finding somebody who's got the skill set you don't is is a way to make it happen quicker also. Yeah, because you complement each other and, you know, then you fill the gaps because, I mean, obviously you can do things in five minutes, but if you want to do something properly, it will take time and all kinds of resources. All right. I think we covered everything. On that note, um, you guys either go to, uh, I'll, you know what we'll do is I will put, stay tuned just to the end. I'll have the link to the Name the Fox contest page so that you can, there's going to be, there are five names that you can choose from or enter your own name. So there's an other option for you there. And the, the 
the Fox kit, as we're calling it, is you will get there's a uh, free lead service account for a year. You get a T-shirt, a sticker, a mug. And I think I threw in a moleskin journal on that, too, to go with our orange. <laughs> um, oh, and a, and a fountain pen. So you can write. You, uh, this is kind of fun since we just talked about putting pen to paper. So that all worked out really well. Um, yeah. so, so, so you guys stay tuned. I'll have the link as always. Thanks for listening. And you can always go to leadsurveys.io just to get on the early notification list. Until then, we will talk to you next time. All right, guys. So there you have it. That is part two of my conversations with Kim with Gordon. And of course, we're super excited about lead surveys. Now, the link for the Name the Fox contest, you can go to the wpchick.com forward slash fox contest. Easiest uh, probably to track is the wpchick.com forward slash fox contest. And as always, guys, thanks so much for listening. And if you haven't, I'd love a review on iTunes. Uh, Appreciate it much. Have a fabulous day and we will catch you next week.